As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because... We do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you, Rod. Sorry, I forgot to mention the reading is in your leaflets there. Keep that in front of you and there's an outline of where we're heading as well. Well, in the next 25 minutes or so, don't time me. I'm going to tell you what to do, and I'm going to insist that you obey. Furthermore, I want to be very clear that if you don't obey, there are going to be consequences. In fact, if you don't obey, you are to some extent at least going to be shunned, shut out. The rest of us are going to start avoiding you over morning tea if you don't obey, okay? So lock the doors, Hilton, because... 
how does that make you feel? If someone says something like that to you. Because there's a lot to wind you up in there, isn't there? The audacity for me to think I can tell you what to do. Who do I think I am? Not to mention that I've assigned myself judge and jury in order to decide if you're in the wrong or not. And even if you are in the wrong, shouldn't I just be grateful that you're here? Uh, Not sticking my nose in, telling you how you ought to be living your life, that kind of thing. And to turn other people against you, is that really what churches should be about? Why can't we just let it go? Why is it that we bristle against being told what to do and disciplining those who don't do what they're told? Why do we react against that? I think because when it comes to matters of authority, especially spiritual authority, we're nimbies. Now, do you know what a nimby is? Not in my backyard. Not if, you know, it's something we think is a good idea so long as it doesn't come too close to home. For example, on Caperinga Council, I build in a dog park. Great idea. I can sit there reading the paper while the dog runs around and I don't have to have a, a, pull around on a leash instead of me traipsing around after her. Great idea until I find out they're going to put it on the reserve at the end of my street. There'll be dogs woofing all hours. There'll be people parking. There'll be people asking where it is. Oh, dear. Nimby. Nimby. Not in my backyard. We're nimbies quite often when it comes to authority, at least in our internal thought life, when somebody's telling us what to do. We like the idea of being able to tell other people what to do and judge them as if, if, if we think we're morally superior. So, for example, I think I've told you before, if I see people in the shops in their pyjamas and slippers, I'd love to go and tap them on the shoulder and say, that is out of order, that is not acceptable. You need to make more effort. But if someone taps me on the shoulder in a car park and says, your parking's terrible. Nimby, nimby. And if it's about something much more personal, much more important, how we're going to follow Jesus... That really gets our goat, doesn't it? Well, what we're actually going to be looking at is not what I'm telling you to do, but what rather what God wants from us as passed on to us by his apostle, Paul. And we'll look at this in more detail. But in short, obeying Paul is the same as obeying Christ. It's the same as obeying the Father. And I hope to show you this morning that obeying him isn't just the right thing to do, It's good and excellent. And I even want to show us that seeking to set straight those who aren't obeying him, even disciplining people, that's not just right. It's also good and excellent. So the context where we're up to, we're looking at two Thessalonians. Paul's writing to this church in um, a church born in conflict and persecution. Paul was chased out of town as he planted this church. And this church needs settling down, encouraging. And the whole letter is about how to live well in the here and now in light of the fact that Jesus has promised he will return to bring us into perfect unity with him and his glory, doing away with evil forever. So, so far, Paul's encouraged them to persevere and point out that God promises to use their suffering Uh, for him to strengthen and grow them 
And it's a sign that they're on track for glory. And last week we saw he warned them about being scammed by Satan's lies and to instead hold firm to the gospel, assured that they haven't missed the boat, that God has chosen them. They can't be unchosen, whatever trouble they face. Jesus has already won, already has all authority. So if last week was a bit kind of cosmic, invisible, spiritual battles going on, and that is an important part of our reality. Well, chapter 3 now is more, much more down-to-earth, more about day-to-day church relationships, about how to wait for Jesus' return obediently. So as I said, there's an outline in your leaflets there, praying, copying, trusting. First of all, praying. We need to pray because we are not in neutral territory. But we can pray with confidence because we know God is faithful. So what should we pray for? Well, Paul asks for two things. Verse 1, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. So they'd heard the gospel message, repented of their sin, and put their trust and belief in Jesus. And that message and reaction had spread like wildfire amongst them, causing lots of argy in Thessalonica. But Paul's got this laser-sharp focus on getting the gospel message out to as many people as possible. As, uh, spread rapidly there. It's got the sense of racing. If you imagine the sort of thunderous noise and speed of a horse at full gallop, that's the sense of the spread rapidly. rapidly. The Thessalonians, who are now, um, now embracing the gospel, um, but remembering that what happened when they did that, there was a riot, the city in turmoil, and he had to flee. So Paul's remembering all that, and they're remembering that. He also prays that none of that kind of thing, none of that opposition to the gospel, will get in the way of it spreading. Verse 2, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. So at this stage of God's big plan of saving the world, the good news message about Jesus going out accurately is dependent on the apostle eyewitness and their missionary partners physically turning up in places and preaching the word. And Paul's realistic that the gospel isn't going out into neutral territory. There will be fierce opposition. But he's got confidence about the Thessalonians, not because of how great they are, but because of how great God is and how faithful God is. God is faithful to, verse 3, strengthen and protect them from Satan. Verse 4, to help them obey the apostles' commands. And verse 5, lead them to know and show God's love and Christ's perseverance. And those are good things for us to pray for our church here in Woodcroft, aren't they? Now, verse 5 is interesting, isn't it? What, what does Paul want for them? Does he want them to be morally upright? Does he want them to be a big church? But what he really wants for them is through all the trouble they're going to face, that they'd still know God's love and Christ's perseverance. And this verse, I think, is a double meaning of um, they would know God's love and Christ's perseverance, and then show God's love and perseverance, following their example. So taken as a whole, then, verses 1 to 5, Paul shows us that he, he knows that he and the Thessalonians are totally dependent on God, 
It's him doing the doing. But determined that he and they will join in with perseverance and obedience. And that's how the Christian life works, isn't it? Giving our best as if it was all down to us. But encouraged and emboldened by knowing it's definitely all down to God. So are you praying this kind of prayer from verses 1 to 5? Even the Apostle Paul, who'd had a, been personally commissioned by Christ in the vision, even the Apostle Paul prayed. If we're not praying, well, that probably means deep down we think we really can do it on our own. We've become what um, my boss Paul Harrington calls a functional atheist when we don't pray. So keep on praying, confident in the Lord, and have that same relaxed realism that Paul has, that though we face danger and opposition from evil people, God's got our backs. Nothing can stop the gospel message from galloping out. So be obedient in praying and be obedient in copying. We need to to obey the apostles' teaching and copy their example so that nothing gets in the way of people loving Jesus. Uh, Last Saturday, uh, we were driving back from Geelong, about a nine-hour drive. And as we were leaving Horsham, it was pitch black, night driving. Now, most of it's all right. I think I've got a picture of that, Robert. Not of us, but a picture of a road at night, in case you don't know what it looks like. Most of it's all right, and you can see the markers at the side of the road and the cat's eyes. But in some spots, when there's like a big crossroads or something, everything seems to just disappear. For a few seconds, I just had no idea which part of the road I was on, if it was in the right lane. So soon after that, we caught up with a big truck in front of us, and that was it. I just kept my distance, but followed his taillights. I mean, if he'd have crashed, that would have been no good. But I just followed his taillights. So I could see the right way to go. I wasn't distracted or confused by side roads or anything else. The truck guided me through it. And that's what Paul wants for the Thessalonians, for them to have a solid lead to follow in living for Jesus so that he is honored and glorified, so that the good news about him goes out. Paul wants for them to not have their heads turned by anything that will get in the way of the gospel. Now, the presenting issue you'll have heard from Rod Reddit for us is lazy lumpers. That's the presenting issue. Lazy people. Uh, it's meant, they're mentioned in verse 6 and verse 11. We hear from some among you that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. I love that Paul does dad jokes. It's great, isn't it? They're not busy. They are busy bodies. To be clear, Paul's not having to go at people who can't work um, or would like to be working but can't find a job or um, full-time managing the home. He's not having to go at people like that. He's on about people who are giving Christians a bad reputation because they refuse to work. And the problem isn't just that they're not doing anything. It's that they're using all their spare time to be disruptive. I bet you've met this kind of person. In Manchester, we used to call them, where I'm from, we used to call them crusty Hume types. Hume was um, all the high-rise, um, cheap housing. Um, and the, who tended to live there was kind of your hippie type. You know, white people with dreadlocks. 
Um, there's sort of too much time on their hands. Always campaigning about something radical. Always telling you what you should be caring about. Whilst neglecting to see that the only reason they were so passionate about their interests was because they had time to be. In the absence of a proper job or any household responsibilities, they had time to tell everybody else what they should be worrying about. And I used to think, well, try doing a full-time job or being a full-time carer, hippie, and then tell me how much you want to go on that march at the weekend. So that's the kind of person we're talking about. And the solution, follow the apostles' commands and follow the apostles' example. Follow the apostles' commands. Verse 6, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work should, shall not eat. Now, we're not going to go into all the Bible's got to say about work now, but the general rule is we should seek not to be a burden and be able to support those who can't work. And we won't go in fully into all the Bible has to say about disciplining one another in church when we sin. But a few brief comments. Please note this is an ongoing problem. Paul had already set this standard in 1 Thessalonians. So this is not a one-off um, sin. It's a consistent refusal to obey despite being told to do something else. And yet still expecting to be part of church, wanting to, basically, they're wanting to have the cake and eat it and eat somebody else's cake as well. Also note the goal, verse 14. Do not associate them with them in order that they may feel ashamed so that they get it, that they feel their sin. And verse 15, it says not to treat them like they're not even a Christian. Don't treat them like they're not a Christian. So discipline, if we are going to straighten one another out, we're going to do that with gentleness, with humility, and with the aim at the restoration of the person. So any withdrawal of fellowship is not because we're standing, standing in judgment and that's it, but to bring about repentance and restoration. So follow the apostles' commands and follow their examples. And verse 7 to 10, they're all about how Paul and his colleagues, when they were with them, operated when they were there. So although they were, could rightly say they were entitled to being fed and, and given lodging, instead they worked to pay their own way. Why? So that they wouldn't be a burden and so that nothing about them would put anyone off the gospel. Verse 9, we did this not because we had, didn't, do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So follow the apostles' commands and follow their example. Now, is Paul on just some sort of ego trip here? Is he kind of like, oh, I'm a big deal around here? Who is he to boss people about and with commands and even command discipline? Now, Paul is insisting he's obeyed because of his special status as apostle. And it's important we get our heads around what an apostle is so that we stand firm in the gospel and don't go off track. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, The church 
is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So when he was on earth, Jesus himself set up this special ministry, the apostles. Jesus is the word become flesh, and he set up this new ministry to go with his ministry. Now, he didn't set up a bunch of priests. He didn't set up a bunch of prophets or judges or a new king or anything like that. He set up the apostles, specially commissioned eyewitness ambassadors to be his authorized representatives and bear witness about him. So he chose the 12 disciples as his apostles. Judas was eventually replaced by Matthias, having himself witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And later the resurrected Jesus appearing to Paul. So all eyewitnesses. So those are the only blokes, when you get to heaven, those are the only blokes who can introduce themselves as one of Christ's apostles. This was their special, unique ministry. That's why in Acts they got other people to serve uh, serve tables and do admin so that they could get on with the job Christ had given them to do, of witnessing to the world about him. And right from the start of the existence of the church, it was their teaching that the church was all about. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In John's gospel, uh, Jesus makes promises specifically to the apostles just for them. John fourteen twenty six. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So all this means that if we want to know the truth, the ultimate, most important truth in our whole lives, we need to listen to what the apostles in their special, unique ministry tell us and follow their example. Obey their commands and follow their example. I've got a quote here from Peter Jensen from a book called Life of Faith, which is a really good kind of short theology. I can recommend that book to you. Peter was former Archbishop of Sydney. In short, the apostolic ministry occupies a vital place in the history of God's salvation. It is unique and irreplaceable. The church is continually refreshed by returning to the apostolic witness. And this cannot be replaced by any other body of writing, nor can the apostles be replaced by any other group of persons. So how do we know how God would have us live day by day as we seek to live in response to God's grace? Well, the Holy Spirit tells us how to. He tells us through the witness of his specially appointed apostles. The Holy Spirit spoke to them what to teach and command, and he had their teaching and commands and actions written down for us, preserved for us in the Bible. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. 
So is Paul being arrogant, conceited? No. When Paul gives commands, he's not being arrogant and conceited. It would have been arrogant and conceited of Paul to say, you know what, those people being lazy, doesn't matter, just let it go. That would have been arrogant and conceited. Because the Holy Spirit had given him commands for us to give about that. So keep returning to the apostolic witness. In other words, the Bible, the New Testament. And doing that cuts through all the guff, all the waffle, doesn't it? I follow a Facebook page called Angry People in local newspapers. I don't know if you've come across it. It's really funny. And this time of year, there are lots of home-you-go stories coming out of the UK because it's back to school time in the UK now. Countless parents complaining to the papers because they failed to read the uniform or haircut policy of their kid's school. And they always think they're a special case only to find out they're not and the kid gets sent home. Home you go. The school rules cut through all the waffle and the guff and the personal opinion. As we seek to live lives that honor Jesus and encourage people to put their trust in him, returning to the apostles helps us cut through all the rubbish, helps us to know what teaching uh, we can rightly give, um, what, what teaching we can rightly send away, because it doesn't fit in with the uniform, and what apostolic uniform to keep clothing ourselves in. But why give commands? Why does Paul take this stuff so seriously? Well, it's because what is at stake is the gospel. What's at stake is how people are going to spend eternity. The spread of the gospel is so urgent, so important, that nothing must muddy the waters or get in the way. So wait obediently by copying the apostles' example, following their teaching. That means returning to the apostolic witness we have written down for us in the Bible. That means sometimes we're going to have to overcome the awkward and correct and rebuke one another, even discipline one another. And that means humbling ourselves to submitting to the apostles' authority, even when we don't like it. So obediently praying, obediently copying, and finally obediently trusting. Obediently trusting. Trusting that Jesus brings us peace with God. 3 verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Isn't that a remarkable prayer? The Thessalonians are up against persecution, false teaching, but Paul prays for them, not just a bit of peace some of the time. Peace at all times, in every way. Peace in our relationships. Peace about suffering unjustly. Peace about people being against us. Peace about what the future holds. Peace about whether or not we're living the right life, doing the right thing. Peace about guidance. Peace about making the right choice. Peace with God. 
That's why all this behavior, how to behave stuff is so important. That's why we must keep returning to what the apostles say and submitting to their authority. Because what they teach is the way of peace. Life that lines up with the peace we have with God. Because we've already got a positional peace, if you like, a, a status of peace. We are right now, right with God. Remember our key verse from Colossians for the year. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. No one can make you a better offer or take that away from you. So in one sense, we've arrived. We're all sorted. All good. And if you don't know that piece of being in right relationship with God today, please let us help you find out how to do that. At least give us a chance to explain what that apostolic witness about Jesus is. We have got this positional peace, and Paul is praying for an ongoing peaceful life, for us to know the peace we have and live a peaceful life in light of that. So could it be that through his apostles, God stops us doing some things and tells us to do other things and insists that we obey because he knows what's best for us? Because he wants us to have the peace that we so desperately crave? A peace much greater than any of us could ever create for ourselves by, being, by avoiding being told what to do. Or refusing to obey. That's what's behind the apostles' commands given to them to give to us by the Holy Spirit. To finish them, two challenges and a promise. Two challenges and a promise. Challenge. First of all, what commands or examples from the apostles are you shying away from? Or even steadfastly refusing will you be open to a brother or sister in christ calling you out on it for the sake of honoring jesus what te- what commands or examples from the apostles are you refusing second will you love your brothers or sisters in christ enough to overcome the awkward and patiently Gently, lovingly, privately, seeking unity and restoration. Tell them to stop doing a wrong thing. Or to start doing a right thing. Will you be the kind of person that's open to saying stuff and being told stuff? Will you encourage one another to wait obediently for the sake of honoring Jesus? And finally, a promise from Jesus. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray.